The children may now be dismissed for children's church and preschool play and worship. And as they go, I'll invite you to find your Bibles and find Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. I'd like us to pray together before we begin to look at this passage. Would you pray with me? Father, you've given us this word for this morning. Lord, I trust that you mean to speak to us through it, and I pray that you would help us to hear you. I don't feel like this topic that you've given me to share is what everyone was thinking about when they walked in this morning. I think that we have things on our minds that maybe feel more pressing than this, but I really believe that you gave us this passage this morning for this congregation. So, Lord, please help us to be open to it, open to what your priority is for us this morning, what you want us to be thinking about, and speak powerfully through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10, is nearly identical to Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 34, which we studied back in October. In Mark chapter 6, we saw Jesus miraculously feed 5,000 men, which we talked about, including the women and children who were likely there. That might have been more like 20,000 people that he miraculously fed. In Mark chapter 8, what we're going to study today, we're going to see Jesus feed 4,000 people. So still a great miracle, still involved with feeding a crowd, maybe a little less than that one in Mark chapter 6. Back in October, when we looked at Mark chapter 6, we looked at Jesus as a shepherd that guides, restores, and sustains his sheep. Now, we're going to see Jesus in a similar light in this text, but I think with a bit more of a focus on Jesus' compassion. So the big idea for this morning for you, and what I think is the big idea that God means for us to take from this passage is this. When Jesus sees people who are hungry and far from home, he is deeply moved with compassion to help them, and he helps through his disciples. Okay, when Jesus sees people who are hungry and far from their home, he is deeply moved with compassion to help them, and he helps through his disciples. So let's start by reading the passage together, and then we'll look at Jesus's compassion. Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. In those days, this is just after he had healed a deaf man who also had a speech impediment. Around that same time, in those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on their way. And some of them have not, I'm sorry, and some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves And having given thanks, 
He broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Now, there's so many interesting things that we could look at in this passage. For one, why didn't the disciples kind of know where Jesus was going when he said he had compassion on the crowd? They, they had already witnessed him feed probably 20,000 people. They still seemed not uncertain because of their own physical limitations. How is this going to work? Once again, Jesus makes it work. We could look at that miracle, but we spent a lot of time on the miraculous feeding back in Mark 6. And there's something else in this passage that stands out to me this morning that I'd like to point out to you. That's Jesus's compassion. Now, in Mark chapter 6, we saw his compassion in verse 34. It says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began teaching them. Here we see his compassion again in a very similar situation in 8 uh, verse 2. I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Now, consider Jesus' compassion. Our English word compassion does not quite do justice to the Greek word that is translated compassion. Our English word compassion means sympathetic pity, and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. Sympathetic pity or concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. Now, Jesus certainly did feel that when he looked at the hungry crowd, but let's look at the Greek word. I don't usually bring up Greek words a whole lot because I'm afraid that might make you think that I'm trying to act like I understand the Greek language, and I don't, even though I have studied it. I have a long way to go. But I wanted to share this Greek word with you. Splangnidzomahi. Splangnidzomahi. That has an N G K H all together in it. Splang, splank, nidzomahi. That's the word that is translated compassion in our English Bibles. It comes from a word splangs, splangsna. That has an N X N beside it in the in the transliteration there. Okay, that word splangsna which I'm probably mispronouncing, literally means spleen, intestines, or bowels. Did y'all think we were going to talk about spleens, intestines, and bowels this morning? I bet you didn't. It is the deepest interior physical parts of you. That's what that word means. Okay, It's from that root word that we get, splangnidzomahi, which we translate com- compassion, um, it, it literally means that you're, you're feeling it deep in your guts. Okay, you're feeling it deep inside your deepest physical parts. Now, obviously, figuratively, it means you're feeling it in your deepest parts of your emotions. Okay, but you need to f- feel the full texture of the original language here because I think it gives you a lot better picture of how Jesus feels toward those who are hungry and far from home. He feels splang nidzumahi. Deep in his guts. Probably our closest idiom to this would be, uh, my heart goes out to you. 
That would probably be the closest English thing, but that's so cliched now that that doesn't really mean that much when you hear, oh, my heart goes out for you. We would need a new phrase, I think, in English to capture it. Something like, my spleen goes out to you. I'd like to hear you guys start using that. I'm so sorry for the situation you're in. My spleen goes out to you. It's a disgusting notion. In Jesus' stories, often the people that he described to explain how God feels towards us and how the kingdom of God works, he uses this word that we translate compassion, this deep, gut-wrenching concern for the plight of someone else. Okay, This is how the prodigal son's father felt when he saw the prodigal son returning and he got up and he ran out to them. He felt the same word, compassion, the same gut, spleen, intestine, gripped, pity, sympathy, concern for the prodigal son. And so he got up and he did what was culturally unthinkable. He ran, which was so undignified. You know, older men did not run. But he had to act because he felt this spling nidzumahi. This is the same feeling in the story of the Good Samaritan that the Samaritan felt when he looked in the ditch and saw the bloodied, beaten, robbed man. The religious Jews had passed by, and the Samaritan felt this gut-wrenching compassion, so he had to stop. And at great personal risk, because he too could have been robbed and killed, and at great personal cost, out of his own pocket, he took this man and, and got him bandaged up into a safe place and paid for him to stay and, and recuperate. Okay, because he felt this, this feeling that Jesus feels here in Mark 8 when he looks at this crowd of people who are hungry and far from home. Now, when we were in chapter 6 and we saw Jesus' compassion, his response to the compassion was to teach It says there, back in verse 34 of chapter 6, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Now, in in, um, chapter 8, his response to this compassion is different. And it's very helpful for me because it's very easy for me to over-spiritualize things in ministry, to assume that Jesus really only cares to teach people about the gospel, but what we see in chapter 8 is that he cares deeply, deeply down to his guts about people's physical, practical, practical, tangible needs. Why does he feel compassion in chapter 8? If you look back at verse 2, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. It's just very mundane and practical, his concerns here. Okay, so he's feeling churned up deep within for these people, not here because they don't understand the gospel, but because they are hungry and they are far from home. Okay, he doesn't just only care about the spiritual aspect of humanity. He cares about the physical needs of humanity as well. Now, could Jesus have healed their hunger by just speaking to them? Have you ever thought about that? We just saw him heal a man's deafness and a speech impediment. 
Okay, could he not have healed the emptiness of their stomachs and made them miraculously feel full? I believe he could have, but that's not how he did it. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. I rearranged my notes and I've confused myself. No, no, that is where I want to be. That is where I want to be. I was right. You guys shouldn't second guess me. Jesus, when he sees people who are hungry and far from home, is deeply moved with compassion to help. How does he help? I think this passage is instructive to answer that question. He helps through his disciples. That's why I was thinking that he could have miraculously healed their hunger, but he didn't. Instead, he engaged his disciples in the process. Look back into the passage at verse 1 and 2 there. Okay, he sees they had nothing to eat, and he called his disciples to them and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because of these things. So his first move is to point out how he's feeling to his disciples. Okay, I don't know if the disciples were feeling compassionate toward the crowd. They might have been hungry too. But Jesus felt compassion toward the crowd, and he wanted his disciples to know about it. And then in verse 5, And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. So he wants his disciples to know his compassion for the hungry people. And he wants them to go check their resources to see what they can do about it. And then in verse 6, he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. So he tells the disciples how he's feeling. He tells them, directs them to go to look at their resources, their seven pieces of bread. And then he blesses it and has the disciples set it before the people. Okay, Jesus is moved with deep compassion to help those who are hungry and far from home. And the way he helps is through his disciples. Now, I want to put this in a bit more of a modern context because I think that's how Jesus operated Back then, and I think that's still how Jesus operates. So to put it in a more modern-day context, I want you to think about the Syrian refugee crisis. Okay? That's something that we're all pretty familiar with if you listen to the news. I get most of my news in the car on the morning, on the way to dropping the kids off, and on the way back. Sometimes they have me turn it off because they're saying, Dad, this is getting scary. I don't want to hear about it. And I'll turn it off, and then I'll turn it back on on the way back. Okay, now... I'm here, as I hear the news about these hordes of people who are displaced from their homes and they're hungry and far from their homes, uh, I'm feeling certain things. Sometimes I feel um, a, a mild sense of guilt, like maybe I ought to be more concerned or I ought to be more engaged. And I wonder what you feel when you hear about these things. What I want you to envision is Jesus sitting right beside you. So let's say you're in your car and you're listening to these news reports. And Jesus is in your passenger seat. And you're kind of out of peripheral vision, sort of checking out to see, how's he reacting to this? Okay? Based on what I know about Jesus from Scripture, including this, but beyond just this, in Mark 8, I think you would see him listening very intently to it. I think you would see him growing uncomfortable and emotional. You might see his eyes starting to moisten. You might see his jaw starting to clench and work a little bit. Maybe his fists starting to form. I think you would see 
that he is deeply moved with compassion. I think you would see that he is deeply moved with compassion to help these people. Now, I bring that example up. I don't often bring up current event examples because I trust the Holy Spirit to work out these things in application in our lives. But I bring this up, and I'm going to actually close by by sharing something with you. I don't think it's any coincidence that I was studying this passage and this big idea about Jesus' compassion for people who are hungry and far from home and the fact that he helps his disciples— I don't think it's any coincidence that I was studying that when Jeff emailed me this email. It's okay if I read your email. Okay, I don't usually read like personal correspondence from the pulpit, so don't get nervous. But So he emailed this to me Monday morning, and I got it Monday afternoon after I had started to get this into my head and my heart. And it says, hi, Matt. Jeff's always so kind. Below is a message from World Relief the relief arm of the National Association of Evangelicals. I'm sorry I didn't mention this before, but I'm wondering if we as a church could do something to be involved with Refugee Sunday. As it turned out, today was Refugee Sunday. Um, I I think I've seen other organizations mention other Sundays through the year as being Refugee Sunday, but World Relief and the National Association of Evangelicals has pointed to today, December 13th. I didn't know that until this email. If you follow the link below, there's a helpful website with the video. The video is powerful, but I think it would be too graphic for showing in worship. And I agree with both of those points after watching it. Next week, Steve Lawson and I will be attending a refugee summit at the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College. It is a planning summit for denominational leaders and ministry organizations that work with refugees to help shape the church's response to what is going on. Jeff. And then I read the, what he forwarded to me. It's just a brief blurb from World Relief. It has a big headline, National Refugee Sunday. And they wrote, The conflict in Syria has left over 200,000 dead and is considered the worst humanitarian crisis today. More than 12 million people have fled the region or been displaced, creating the largest number of refugees in human history. Refugees are, by definition, people who are hungry and far from home. Though some refugees have resettled in Europe and the U.S., 95% of these refugees will never leave the Middle East. And they had a link for more information and a couple of facts that stood out. The population of those who have been displaced from their homes and are just looking for some place to land, some kind of help, is about the same as the entire population of New York and L.A. If all the people in those cities were displaced from their homes and had to move on and find someplace else. More than half of that population is children. Most of those people are children. So it goes on to say, On Sunday, December 13th, join with believers worldwide to do what the church is called to do. Pray for, support, and provide necessary resources to refugees in the Middle East. So what World Relief is doing primarily, as best I can tell right now, is they are trying to help financially fund and support churches that are there in the Middle East because that's where 95% of these refugees are. Um, And then they're they're working, getting the ball rolling on working with leadership of denominations to figure out what do we do as Christians to be helpful here. Um, 
Now, the idea for National Refugee Sunday is that churches would take up a big offering. I didn't become aware of this in time to get registered with World Relief for us to do that and to give you any notice and you know pass it through the board like we're supposed to do. Um, I will tell you how you can give individually if you would like to. My point in sharing that email with you today is I just have to believe, and as I was preparing even this morning, that God led us to this passage and, and is leading Steve and Jeff to this summit and led him to email me this week and brought you here this morning. I have to believe that he is turning to us as his disciples and saying, I have compassion on these crowds. Okay, I'm concerned about these crowds. I'm deeply moved with concern about these crowds. Okay, they've been out there for days and weeks and months, and they don't have adequate food, and they're hungry, and they're far from their home, and they probably won't ever get to go back home. Uh, I read somewhere that the average time away from home from a refugee is 17 years. Okay, so your home's not going to really be there when you come back after 17 years in a war, war-torn place like that. So most of them are squatting in these little temporary camps because these countries in the Middle East, where 95% of them are, just don't have the infrastructure to really handle this and to help them. And they, they aren't really able to get all the way over here to the U.S. very well. I know we talked about, um, the president talked about bringing in, you know, 10,000. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with that. And I'm not, you know, here to comment on that. But I have to believe he is pulling us under his arm and saying, I have great compassion on these people. And I have to believe, just like with his disciples, he's saying, I want you to look at your resources. How much bread do you have? You know, get ready. I want to help these people, and I help these kinds of people through my disciples. Jesus isn't going to come swooping down in this blazing chariot from heaven and start throwing bread out. If he's going to help, he's going to help through us. He's going to help through his disciples. I have to believe that he wants us to set our resources before those who are in need of help. And I'm focusing on these refugees because that seemed to be the focus the Lord brought to my mind this week. But obviously, you know, there's many people who are hungry or far from home beyond just the refugees. There's, there's homeless, there's um, veterans who are, who are just out of luck and, and on the streets. There's all kinds of issues where we need to get engaged and help. So the question is how? And I'll close here. I know I just said I was going to close. I was just trying to keep you paying attention for a little bit longer. I think I'm going to base how to help just on this passage for now. Um, And the first point is to let Jesus' compassion guide us, not our own. And that may seem a little weird. I think that our compassion is going to grow, it's going to come along as we grow as Christians, but our compassion is so messed up, it's so tainted by our own sin and selfishness, it's so weak. And I don't, I don't think that those disciples were standing there among that crowd of people feeling the same level of compassion that Jesus did. I bet some of them, their stomachs were growling and they were thinking, I'm glad I got my loaf of bread. I'm going to eat it over here to the side so these other people don't see it. They should have brought their own bread. And then Jesus called them over and says, I... I'm really concerned about these people. How much bread do you have? Some of them may have been reluctant. I don't know. But they did it out of obedience, and they let Jesus' compassion guide them. Okay, so this isn't like a guilt you into anything kind of sermon. Um, my compassion is very compromised about this. It's compromised a lot by fear. You know, I have the same fears. If we start bringing in all these Muslim refugees, are some of them going to be jihadis in disguise? 
I don't know. And I'm, I'm thankful that's not my call about how to go about that. I pray that our national leadership has wisdom there. But it's inescapable that Jesus cares deeply for all these people. It's inescapable. And I think we need to let his compassion guide us. Okay? Now, I believe he'll show us exactly what to do, when to do it, how to do it, if we should do anything in particular. Um, I really am hopeful, Jeff, that your trip with Steve is going to be very illuminating in this regard for us as a denomination and us as a church and me just as a Christian. Um, So I'm really going to be praying for you guys, and I want to encourage you all to pray for Jeff and Steve. And I'm really anticipating what, what will come from those talks this week. I really believe God will guide us here. I don't think he's going to have us do anything thoughtlessly or recklessly or anything like that. The second thing I would say from this passage is, what do we do? Let's look at our resources. Now, Jesus sent the disciples to go back and see how much bread they have. And perhaps this morning he's telling us, look at your resources. If you remember a few weeks ago for Thanksgiving, I preached a sermon And one of the big ideas was that you have been enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Okay, the things we have are not given to us simply to enjoy. They're given to us as a tool to use to bless other people and be generous. So for the disciples, they had some bread. They were enriched with bread to be generous with bread. Uh, For us, maybe you're retired and you have a lot of time. You've been enriched with time to be generous with time. Okay, maybe you're in a good place financially right now. You've been enriched with money to be generous with money. Maybe you've got a home that's got extra space. You've been enriched with extra space to be generous with extra space. Okay, all I'm asking right now is for us just to be thinking about what God has given us, okay, so that we're prepared for what he may call us to do in the future. And then third and and lastly, what can we do? We can help as Jesus directs. We can help as he directs us. Now, today, I and I really believe that he's given us this passage and this opportunity at the same time, and I think he probably wants us to help financially. Now, we're not going to take up an organized church offering, because like I said, we just didn't have time to get our act together with that, and I didn't get registered with them. Uh, but there is, yeah, right there it is, Tom, once again. If you would like to give to World Relief's efforts to help and aid support the churches there, you can do it through this website. Okay, so you can write that down and go there. You can do it personally. Um, Next Sunday, we're taking up our special Christmas offering, half of which is going to the Deacon's Fund, which we use to help those in need in our congregation and people that we know and can enter into an ongoing relationship with. The other half, actually, believe it or not, is going to the Ketchum's, And their ministry for the navigators, guess who they're ministering to through the navigators? Refugees in uh, Atlanta or outside of Atlanta. They moved into an apartment complex area that some have called, I believe, the most diverse zip code or something in the U.S. Because many, many refugees have been resettled there from all over the world. Okay, so half of next month's offering is going to go to help support them so they can continue their work. And then, as Jeff and Steve come back, you know, we might get more directions from Jesus as we get into next year to do something more specific. Now, I don't know what it could be. I don't know. Uh, I think we need to be prepared, not just for these refugees, but for any opportunities that he brings across our paths 
to be able to be his hands, his arms, to help people who are in need. I think we need to be prepared even if it's more radical than we're used to. You know, we're used to giving um, an offering to go to help other people do the ministry, and then we go on back into our daily lives. And often that's totally appropriate. Often that's all God calls us to do, and it's great. It's a great step of obedience. Sometimes he calls us to do more, and I don't know. Maybe he's preparing us for that. I really don't know. I know um, modern church leadership gurus say that you need me to be a visionary leader. The fact is, God hasn't given me a vision for this yet. I just know that he loves these people, and he will direct us when the time is right. So I encourage you to give. I encourage you to let Jesus' compassion guide you. I encourage you to look at your resources in this light. And right now, we're going to have a time of prayer. Okay, last week, we had this time of intercessory prayer, and I felt I felt led to do it again this week. And um, We'll pray together. And perhaps you are in need right now. And go to the Lord in prayer based on your need. Or perhaps you're feeling moved in some way to be more generous to some need that you're aware of that's not these refugees. Go to the Lord in prayer about that. But let's do ask for God's guidance together. Let's ask for God to direct us if he would have us to do something. Would you pray with me? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed... I want to point out to you that the reading I selected for the beginning of the service included this, these two verses. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 10. God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner. That word sojourner is about the closest thing in the Bible to refugee. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. As you're praying, remember, God's people have always been sojourners. We are in this world. We're not of this world. In a very real sense, we don't belong here. As you're praying, think about what it would be like to be forced away from your home with your family or on your own, to have to flee to a different place. Father, I feel very weak in light of this huge need. but I recognize that you care deeply for those who are hungry and far from home. And I pray that you would give us your same heart for them and your same level of concern. And make us willing to help in any way you direct us. And please give us clear direction because we are so often distracted and compromised by fears and selfishness that we might not see it or we might choose to ignore it. Or if you're prompting us as individuals to go and onto that website and give or to give more abundantly next week during the special offering, 
Please make that clear to each of us. I thank you for this opportunity that Jeff and Steve have this week, and I pray that you would please uh, fill them with your Holy Spirit, all those people who will be there meeting. Give them clear guidance, and let them all go back to their perspective perspective denominations and churches and uh, give clear guidance through this process so we know what to do and how to do it. And we trust that you would not call us to do anything that you won't equip us to do and resource us to do. Lord, as we're praying, we pray for those who are in leadership of our nation who, who actually have a great bit of influence into refugees that might get brought to us. Lord, give them great wisdom and discernment and clarity of mind and guide their hearts and their minds and their hands. May your will be done through them. Lord, let us as Christians conform to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, and be moved deeply with compassion. And we pray for the churches that are there in the Middle East that are already inundated with these largely Muslim refugees, that you would give them great boldness in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and that this terrible, tragic situation would come, uh, from it would come great fruit and results for your kingdom that many would be turned back from that darkness to the light of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would give them food and shelter and that in and through that you would give them Jesus. So Lord, we are your people, we're your church, just like your disciples there. We want to be obedient to you. Please help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.